This episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast is brought to you by Homebrew in Paradise. Homebrew in Paradise. Homebrew in Paradise, your one-stop shop for all your beer, wine, cider, and fermented food-making needs. Go in there, ask them about a starter kit, ask them about a recipe, mention the Blue Hawaii Podcast while doing it, and get 10% off. 10%. That's Homebrew in Paradise, 740 Mo'ova'a Street in Kalihikai. Homebrew in Paradise. Blue Hawaii. Here I am. Rock you like a local story. Except Lane wasn't really that bad, if we're being honest. No, no, uh, totally. Hurricane Lane did not come through. Hurricane Lane wimped out at the last second. He did not want the smoke. No, nah, he didn't want to catch these hands. Uh, except for also Big, Big Island, Big Island, and Maui did get slammed. Yeah, they uh, did get hit. Sorry, well, Maui didn't really get hit with the hurricane though. They just got like random wildfires. So, because uh, the wind like blew down, the wind blew down a transformer and like a transformer caught fire. So I think Lane will still take credit for. That's fair. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Yeah. But, they don't want none of this. No, man. Well, or oh, wow. the other way to look at it is uh, there was a concerted effort. Uh, there was a, a Facebook group with about 5,000 people called Everybody Point Your Fans Southward and Let's Try to Blow Lane Off Course. And I mean, one way of looking at it is it worked. Yet again, Oahu carries the burden of the rest of the state. Oh, don't, didn't, I didn't mean that. Nobody meant that. No, no, no. Please no. do not send your hate mail. No, we, we did our best. And you know what? People said at first it was a crazy strategy, but it's never crazy when it works. No. So, uh, yeah. So Hurricane Lane, now Tropical Storm Lane. Uh, actually, the Tropical Storm warning was canceled for Oahu as of about uh, 11 a.m. on Saturday. It's currently 12.42 p.m. Saturday we're recording. Uh, UH football is about to kick off here in 45 minutes with their season opener against Colorado State. Yee. But right now, intermittently, uh, we, we want to send out congratulations. To who? To the friggin' Honolulu Little League World Series team that won the U.S. Championships, Slamaguchi and his boys, pitcher Aokai Kea, t- tossed 15 strikeouts in an 18-inning ball game. That is an insane. To put that in metric. perspective, that I think the major league record is 20, is 20 strikeouts, right, for a nine-inning game. I think. I didn't even know that. That's yeah. incredible to me. So, do some fractions, do some math, figure it out. This little this kid, kid is killing it. Yeah. Well, yeah. can't wait to see. Uh, Sean Yamaguchi, Aokai Kea, all these guys like absolutely murdering it for UH baseball in about eight years. Did you see whenever uh, whenever they interviewed um, Yamaguchi, they were like, what's your favorite song? And he was like, Hama. And he was like, why? He's like, because I'm a Hama. Did he? <laughs> yeah, dude. Wait, is, there, is there a song called Hama? I have no idea. I, just, that's what he said. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not privy to whether ri- that's a real song or not. Did he write his own song? He maybe did. I hope he did. The kid crushed it. Oh, shout out to the uh, and you know Peachtree, Georgia, the Peachtree City, the, Peachtree City, Georgia, the, the affluent all white suburb, just about thirty minutes south of Atlanta. Hey, there were a couple of children of color on the team. Oh, so, they were from nearby Fayetteville, probably. Well, either way, uh, they did a they did a or were they Asian? No, I think they they looked like they were. There's a big Korean presence down there. Could have been. There's could've like been. a like Samsung has a place down there. Could have been like Sony, part I think, black, which part is Korean, Japanese, maybe. but yeah. Like Heinz Ward. Exactly. Exactly. Lots of little Heinz Wards running around. A whole team of Heinz Wards. That would be awesome. That team would that team would kill it. Kid was a stud. Well, um, man was a stud. No, but either way, the, the, the parents of Petrie City uh, put together a little fundraiser and sent some money out to the uh, Hawaii Salvation Army. So that's very nice. That's very nice of them. Thank you for doing that. Um, sorry we had to kick your butts. That's true. Nothing personal. No, it's just business. Uh, we look forward to tomorrow. 
uh, Team Hawaii is going to be taking on Team South Korea. We're going to kill him. We're going to crush him. Slam a Gucci all over again. Yep. Um, also, oh yeah, and then seriously, uh, to all of our friends and family on the Big Island, I uh, hope you guys are doing okay. I know, I think I said, I think I read that Hurricane Lane um, dropped like 30 inches of rain in parts of Hilo in like a 24-hour period. Uh, and that, what what was the waterfall? Is it Rainbow Falls? Yeah. Was, oh, uh, it was all blown up? Yeah, dude. It, like It's normally 900 cubic feet per second. And then it was 100,000 cubic feet per second. It seems like a lot. Oh, indeed it is. Yeah, it's uh, they're they're having a really tough time over there. There's still lots of flooding. Downtown Hilo is like half underwater. Um, but in true Big Island and true Hawaii fashion, everybody's pulling together. Everybody's, you know, working hard to to get themselves out of this. And, uh, and we're going to be okay. So it could have been a lot worse. Thank goodness it wasn't. Category four hurricane here would have decimated Oahu. So we're very, very grateful that it just passed a tropical storm. I just decided to fart out and become a little bit of wind and rain. Speaking about farting out, uh, I do want to bring to everybody's attention that the uh, reality of Hurricane Lane passing south of us means that Josh will likely no longer be a Russian TV star. Only the good die young. Yeah, so you you got the call back. I did. I received a follow up message from another one of the producers, uh, and they asked, you know, thank you so much for agreeing to appear via Skype earlier. Um, once the hurricane arrives, would you be willing to take more video of you know you with the downpour in the background and your you know your supply, your setup, your situation at home? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And we had it all planned out. Ryan was going to film. I was going to demonstrate. We were going to be hashtag Russia famous. Unfortunately, it just never happened. We were going to be there. I mean, fortunately, yeah. but Fortun- unfortunately. Yeah. So, uh, or, or it may have been all an elaborate sting operation to fish your credit cards, fish my credit cards and, or hack Hawaii's next election. So that's true. We'll never know, I guess. That's um, true. I hate, I'm going to lament the loss of your career, Yeah, but I know you, that you've got bigger things ahead of you. Like a like friend of the show, Josh Falk is going to help us become hashtag Japan famous. That's going to require a whole different level of strategy and skill that, yeah. I, I don't know that we have it, but I know that we have the resolve if, to try to obtain it. If the Japanese Ministry of Defense has their own television channel like the Russian Ministry of Defense does. I'd much rather be on that one. <laughs> seems seems a little less like less likely to end up in the national news for but something I, terrible. I also feel like there'd be a game show component of that somehow. Like you'd have to like, you know, eat something crazy or yeah. like do some physically torturous task uh but then if you did it, you get to read the read the news. Is there any is there any room on Terrace House for a white guy from America who doesn't speak any Japanese? I don't know what Terrace House is. <sighs> Sorry, Gaijin. I am I'm as Gaijin as it you gets. Have, also You have disgraced your ancestors yet again. <laughs> uh unfortunate continued fallout from Hurricane Lane. Uh Tanahasi Coates, who you may have heard talk about in episode twenty nine with Dr. Akimi Glenn. His talk was was uh, rescheduled. Yes, it was postponed. canceled for this weekend. Rescheduled for September fourth at the Honolulu 4th. Museum of Art. Yep. Um, you know they announced it was postponed, and then the hurricane didn't even show up. I think the system's very rude. The system is continuing to try to keep us down. That's very rude. But yeah, you know what? Better late than never. We still got our tickets. We'll still be there. We're still looking forward to hearing from Doctor Glenn and the man himself. And in the meantime. Uh, I don't know if this will hold you over, but if you want to talk about uh, the intersection of 
politics and religion in America and potentially race as well, uh, have we got an episode for you. So if you'll recall back early in the summer, I mentioned that I spent a, a week or so down south in Alabama getting stories from people. Tending to his plantation. That we're calling Southern Stories. Yeah, so down down south for a week and collecting stories of people wanting to give you guys a perspective on uh, the millennial experience outside of just Hawaii. Uh, there's a lot of really cool things going on and really cool people all over this country. And I'm gonna, today you're going to hear a story of one of them. Today you're going to be hearing from our friend, uh, Mr. Tony Davison. Tony is a, uh, he's a black man who's from Alabama. He's from a very, very poor uh, area of Alabama, just uh, maybe an hour or so south of Montgomery, um, which is the capital of my hometown. Um, th- to put in perspective how poor it is, I mean, a lot of people, I think, I don't think Tony is among them, but a lot of people don't have running water. A lot of people don't have uh, proper plumbing. So their waste goes into a giant cesspool, um, which is sort of an analogy for the state as a whole in some ways, if you're looking at the government. But um, anywho, Tony is uh, a man who straddles a lot of different lines. He is black, but he's also a nerd and he's also a, uh, a theater guy, and he was also a uh, letterman at the University of Alabama playing football. So he sort of... Roll tight? Well, I don't know about that, but he he stands in a bunch of different in a bunch of different squares. Uh, that's that's not a saying. I just made that up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What's the word I'm looking for? To come from, you know, to come from such a bleak situation and to make it into the, the best football program in the state, that's quite an achievement. Well, they weren't the best back whenever he went to college there, Josh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so listeners if, if i could convey to you how quickly ryan's demeanor changed as he we just have to be honest <laughs> he, he went whenever they're playing under mike shula auburn beat him six times in a row let's not get into that um but what i'm trying to say is tony's got a fantastic story about what it's like growing up black in the south what it's like being um a young black man who doesn't fit um society's southern society's mold for what they should be and he has stories of you know what his life is like and i think you're really going to love it so listen to it as always like tag share um rate us on itunes leave a review it's super super helpful and until then i wish i were in dixie hooray hooray in dixie land i'll take my stand and live and die in dixie is that it Blue Hawaii. We often hear Holly meaning white person in a negative connotation, but is a perfectly good word. It means foreign introduced of foreign origin or foreign introduction. So in Hawaiian, anyone or anything that is not native to Hawaii is Haole. I'm Leilani Poli Ahu, Ahui Ho. Haole, is a perfectly good word. Hey Tony, yeah. uh, where are you from? Originally, yeah. It's born in Atlanta, Georgia. What part? Uh, Jonesboro, to be exact. Okay. Yeah. And how long have you lived in Montgomery? I have lived in Montgomery since two thousand and five. What brought you here? <laughs> Girlfriend. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you guys are still together, I assume. No. Yeah, that's how it works. No. <laughs> Never. No. No, we're not, unfortunately. So did you go to high school in Atlanta? 
I did not. I did not grow up in Atlanta. I was just born there. Where'd you grow up? Very shortly after there, I moved. Um, we moved around a little bit in Alabama. But, okay. Is um, your folks from Alabama? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what part, where'd you grow up? Where's high school? Georgiana, Alabama. I yeah. never heard of that. Exactly. It's That's a little, little battle nowhere. Map. Yeah. That's in the yeah. middle of nowhere. No stoplights. Oh. No major grocery stores or fast food or anything like that. Folks still there? Uh, my father is. My mom passed away. Oh, I'm sorry but, to hear that, man. Uh, How old were you? That uh, was about four years ago now. Jeez, man. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Closing it on four years ago. How did she go? Yeah. Ovarian cancer. My big, my well, I shouldn't say my big brother, my wife's big brother, uh, he passed away three years ago from a brain tumor. He was 31 years old, man. I know that feeling of just like... It sucks, man. It's the worst feeling, man. Yeah. Uh, There's nothing you can do about it. It just does what it does and you have to accept it. Yeah, like you... Yeah. Fighting it only just kind of entrenches. Yeah. Where is Georgiana in the state? It's about an hour and 10 minutes south of Montgomery. Like on the way to Mobile on 65. Okay. Yeah. You literally drive through Georgiana on your way to Mobile. I know Georgiana. Yeah. Isn't it like it, one, has to be one of the poorest communities in Alabama. I would not doubt it if it was the poorest. I remember driving it's, that area and bad. seeing, you can see shacks from the interstate. Yeah, you can. And mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's, I remember one time thinking, oh, these must be left over from like, you know, no. late 1800s. And then I, and like, you know, it's just like kind of a antique, like a vestige of a time gone by. And then I saw somebody walk out of it. Yeah. Like you see I, cars parked at them yeah. and things like that. Yeah. I've heard of people in that area that don't have running water still. There, there are some places. Some people, some, some places there uh, run on like well water and things like that. Yeah. Like my, my granny, she was ne- she was never hooked up to the city water. She, she had a pump and a well, and that's like, you know, an automated pump, of course. That sure, you know, served those purposes. But she was never hooked up to city water, so she never paid a water bill in her life. So. It's a it's a different world. Yeah. I mean, it truly it yeah. feels like I've seen that. Uh, I saw a study recently that said that parts of, according to the UN definitions, parts of Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi are classified. They could be classified as third world countries. I and Georgiana is probably one of those places. Yeah, I mean, I'm, no offense to. No, I don't. The, I don't take offense there. I, yeah. I have some pride growing up in a place like that. I mean, it's absolutely it, it's not the easiest thing in the world but no no you know it, it you get to see a different part of the country with different kinds of people and um different kinds of relationships than you do in places that aren't like that yeah so so you've been in montgomery 13 years wow when you say it like that i feel old <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i guess so i guess 13 Closing in on 13 years. The so end of the summer will be... A yeah. girlfriend brought you here, but what kept you here? People. And I know that was really nebulous, but... No, I know exactly what you mean. Um, Community? Yeah. I mean, I came here uh, for the girl, you know. Yeah. And I was a biology pre-med major at the time, and... Where'd you go to school? Faulkner. Faulkner, yeah? Yeah. I was a University so of Alabama student, and I transferred... You went from, to UA first? Yeah. Yeah. I actually was a walk-on football player at Alabama and tore this Achilles extremely terribly and was done. 2005 would have been... 
Mike it Shula's wasn't 2005, next... though. Oh, excuse me. I, I came to Alabama in the year 2000. Okay. And then... That would have been Mike DuBose? Yeah. Yeah. DuBose and then Coach Fran. Okay. And I hurt myself at the end of 2000. And so where'd you go to high school? Georgiana? 2000. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Were you guys any good? We were all right. Yeah. <laughs> Better than I can say about yeah. our school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was... 2A football in Alabama, so yeah. take that for what you will. Um, Probably better than the elite levels of most other, most other states, well, for what it's worth. Well, possibly. I mean, you know, it's the South in football. So, but no, I, I, I got hurt, and then I took some time off of school, and then I went back at Alabama, and I, I hated it. They were just bad memories at, at that point, and so I needed to change, and, you know, the girl was a good enough reason. So, I went from a state school to a small Christian school. Bit of a culture shock. Even though I'm a preacher's kid, so, you know. Are you really? I came from a Faulkner-type environment to a state school and then went back to a Faulkner-type environment. So coming from Georgiana, I'm sure that was quite a shock. It, yes. Yes and no. Southern society is so interesting. (laughs) <laughs> you put it very delicately. I, I did. I, you have to live here, so I understand. And no, it was intentional, but for a different reason. I, I didn't. I wasn't being intentionally delicate, not you know, to not hurt anybody's feelings or anything. But like, growing up in a community like Georgiana, everything is so insular. Sure. I mean, you, you don't. There's no outside world. Mm-hmm. It's it's Georgiana. Everything and like, is contained. Right every, everything is contained right there. Like the farthest you go is 15 minutes away to sure. Greenville to go to Walmart, and then you come back home. You know, you, yeah. you, you, there's not much that you do. When Greenville's your big city, you're not doing great. Right, exactly. So it's, it's so insular. And while, you know, we had the same problems that typical southern rural places have with things like racism and things like that, sure. for the most part, the community is pretty tight-knit. Yeah. You have to be As in a community like that. Small. Yeah communities that still somehow struggle with racism yeah well that's because race the racism is more casual yeah it's not overt like i hate you racism it's more of like the privileged version of racism i think now's a good time in the interview to note that uh tony is a man of color uh he is a handsome six foot three yeah large black man yeah uh with a striking high top fade yes. and an infectious laugh and a beautiful <laughs> smile. Um, so that said, let's talk about, yeah, I would love to talk a little bit more about that. You're saying that the racism is more privileged racism. Um, some, I think the term I've been hearing a lot for, as I would understand that is systemic racism in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I was a smart kid growing up. I, I was, the smartest kid in my class. Sure. Um, that's that's quite obvious to me, having known you for a, a relatively small amount of time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I started, believe it or not, I actually started going to schools in Greenville um, because my parents finagled it that way because schools in Greenville were better. But eventually they told us, no, we couldn't do that anymore, so I had to switch to Georgiana schools. Um, but... You know, being um, a black kid and the smartest kid in the class was not a very popular thing. A little bit of a target? Yeah. Um, there were a lot of parents who were not happy about that. Um, experienced some, you know, things here and there that were 
Um, you know, looking back on it now that I'm an adult and understand what was happening, because um, as a kid, these things happen and your parents deal with them, and you don't really understand what's going on, and being that my parents were the type of people who raised me that in such a way that they didn't want color to be an issue for me. Sure. So, you know, they didn't want me to use color to determine the friends I have or the people I fell in love with or the people I associated with or the people I did business with or anything like that. Um, and so when things like that happened, I think my parents went out of their way to kind of shield me from that while at the same time trying to educate me. It was a delicate balance. Uh, Your parents sound like phenomenal people. They really they really, really were great people. I mean, just like all families, we had our ups and downs. Sure. But they, they were really great people, educated people. Um, and, you know, that was their main emphasis for me. They wanted me to excel in the educational realm so that I could, you know, advance my position in society, I guess, you know. Were they, were they, uh, your dad was a Church of Christ preacher? Yeah. Okay. It's interesting growing up as the smart black kid, like you'd think, okay, yeah, you get some, um, some more casual, probably to my parents it was less than casual, but more casual racism on, on, on a certain side, but then... Casual in what way? Like what kind of things? Just... Okay, so I'll, I'll give you some examples. Yeah, there, were, there were things like, you know, math tournaments, spelling bees, things like that, that I tended to win, that there would just be comments about, and people wondering if I won legitimately, and things of that nature. And, you know, there was specifically um, an incident that really sticks out in my mind. I was in the sixth grade. I had just transferred from Greenville, middle school to Georgiana. It was my first year in Georgiana. And Georgiana, I was on Georgiana's math team and we went to the county math tournament. I'd won the math tournament every single year. Lo and behold, sixth grade year comes along, go to the math tournament, I don't win. I get second place. My teacher in Georgiana raised a fuss about it because she didn't think it was legitimate and she wanted to see the scoring and mysteriously, it had all disappeared. Whoa. Whoa. So, um, and a kid who was in my class before in Greenville, um, who I will not name his name. Do you still remember um, it? Oh, yeah, I remember. Do, do you ever stalk him on Facebook to no, see how his life turned out? I, I really don't. Let's do it as soon as we get done recording. <laughs> but uh, he, he won, and he was He's never white, anywhere. Yeah. And he was never anywhere close to me as far as math or anything like that. And it was just all of a sudden, out of the blue, he won. And it was like, okay. What year would this have been? Let's see. I was in sixth grade. Oh, my goodness. You're asking me to do. You won the math tournament. Don't say that joke. I know. I know. I'm, I think it was 1992? 91 or 92. Okay. I can't remember. And so, you know, it was... I call that casual racism, but it probably is less than casual. That's but it, it, um, it's pretty bad. It 
maybe saying it's it didn't seem as overt to me as some things have. Well, because they didn't call you the n word or something exactly, like that. Exactly, exactly. They didn't, they didn't like burn an effigy of a yes, black man. It exactly, was it, it wasn't relatively that. innocuous compared to threats against your life. Yeah, is how I understand you saying yes. that. Yes, exactly. Like that that's that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, growing up, and then I, you know, you come to my senior year of high school, and you know, I. And winning all of these academic awards, and I, you know, make a 34 on my ACT and all of that stuff. And, like, the year before me, the valedictorian of their class um, at my high school was a white guy. And, you know, he was an okay student. He had, like, a 3.8 GPA, and, like, he got a small scholarship to Troy University. Sure. And, like... Then Troy State? Yeah, then Troy State University. And uh, they, like, publicized everything, made a big deal out of it. And I come along. And, you know, not trying to, like, toot my own horn or anything, but, like, I had done a lot more. Silence. Just, like, let's get this, let's get, let's get this kid out of here, you know? We're ready to tell white stories again. <laughs> right. So it was a lot of things like that. But at the same time, on the other hand... My experience was interesting because I experienced it from my own side too, from my own color. Sure. Because being the being the smart kid, and not only having black friends, I was trying to be white. I've heard that a lot from uh, from black friends that yeah. when they are smart, or when they are um, when they don't speak with a certain accent. Exactly, I speak properly. Yeah, so. or when they yeah. uh, when they don't adhere to certain like cultural norms mm -hmm. they get sort of they get it from both ends they get yeah. told they're not black enough for the black people mm -hmm. and they're not white enough for the white people yeah. you're not the first person i've had tell yeah. me that actually yeah i actually read, read a really amazing article about that today on facebook that like spoke to my entire experience as a black person and kind of how you feel caught between worlds in a way because as a kid you're like it's exactly that you're not black enough for the black people and you're too black for a lot of white right. people. Yeah. So it was an, it was an interesting experience growing up. And to people's credit, people get older. You know, when you get to college, like things, things like that go away. Yeah. And like you know, people realize that being smart is kind of an asset. You yeah. know, and so I think the, the real story here is that uh, that kids are assholes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no disagreement from me there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you go to Faulkner, which. Yes. I, from personal knowledge, know is 99.9999999999% uh, white. Yeah. 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 How, what was that experience like? Well, I've, I've had three different Faulkner lives. Okay. So I had the just a student Faulkner life. I had the member of Cornerstone Faulkner life. Cornerstone being uh, Faulkner's touring uh quartet of yes. acapella singers that is male only male only because you know women yeah and uh it but it's probably one of the highest honors you can achieve at that yeah. university is to be named a member of cornerstone it also doesn't exist anymore r.i.p cornerstone yes R. headstone R. for cornerstone yes because that. actually it turns out nobody likes to pay to see <laughs> acapella quartets <laughs> Yeah, so I did that, and then I had the theater life at, at Faulkner. So I've, I've had three 
very distinct. Not just three distinct lives, but three distinct worlds. Yes. Because as I understand Faulkner's student life, the, the student life is more of a basic evangelical, and I use that as a political term, evangelical existence. (laughs) And the cornerstone life is more of an, uh, overtly religious existence. Yes. And then the theater life. Appearance appearance wise, at least. (laughs) Appearances. Yeah. Well, it's religion. Appearances are everything. (laughs) And then, uh, Fair. And then uh, the theater life being like an overtly artistic and uh, a much an existence filled with much searching and yearning to learn and develop in and a, in a honesty, way that is which on, is very honest a departure from the rest evangelical of the tradition, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and then uh, full disclosure, I also did a lot of theater growing up, and Tony and I ran in the same theater circles mm-hmm. although we didn't really meet each other until we much just later missed each other yeah. we just missed each other so yeah. uh you had three different existences i did i did the student existence was largely invisible um i was a black church of christ member but i went to landmark which there's so many there's so many local dynamics listeners i wish that i could i wish that i could adequately explain all of this to you faulkner is a republican university uh so they did delineate different churches of christ which again is considered the one of the most restrictive denominations in all of christianity they delineate by liberal versus conservative faulkner being on the farthest of the far conservative ends landmark church of christ uh is so brazen so liberal as to allow uh infrequent clapping in their services uh oh it's constant now it's constant clapping yeah yeah. okay and they've even dabbled in music they've even played an instrument or two which uh which is 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 true apostasy to real conservatives uh so you were black those apologetics people so bad and you went to landmark Yes. Which means that, well, you're certainly not saved. You're, yeah, not, right. going, you're not going to heaven. No, no. But you're... Yeah. Well, you're in the lost cause department at yeah. that point. Yeah. This is somewhat self-indulgent, but it's so mind-bendingly ridiculous that a person could ever think that. I agree. That you could say you're doing some of the most restrictive religious practices in existence Mm -hmm. for this tradition and that because you don't do this one thing these things that you are not conservative enough to warrant salvation which was legalism man legalism man yeah anywho okay yeah so then remarkably even though i was black and you know a landmark member i managed to make it into cornerstone which I do have to give um, a couple of buddies a lot of credit for that because they, you know, spoke up for me and recommended me. And so I think that helped me a lot get in. I'm not sure if I would have otherwise. And that that was like going from being a student at Alabama to being a football player at Alabama. It was from invisible to instant celebrity. 
I can't help but suppress a smile. It, no, I. Whenever it, I think about it's Glenworthy and Cringeworthy at the time. in the Church of Christ yeah, culture. Oh gosh, it's ridiculous. Having grown up in that, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's special. But I can't say it wasn't fun. Um, Neither can I. You're you're a part of a brotherhood, and in an intensely tight knit community. Yeah, yeah. So, what does life look like for you? post maybe even pre but post 2016 election of donald trump in alabama have things changed man well it's interesting because the world has changed i I would agree in a lot of ways um and i think that the 2016 election and the aftermath made a lot of undercover racists be really comfortable coming out of the woodwork. But at the same time, because we are in 2016 or we post 2016, like people aren't afraid to speak up anymore or people are less afraid to speak up. I've noticed that as well, especially in Alabama. Yeah. And it's really interesting. It comes from an interesting perspective for me because um, in 2015, I graduated uh, from grad school uh, what was with your degree in? Master of Fine Arts and emphasis in performing arts. And my master's thesis was I, I did, I self-reduced and acted in a play uh, written by a playwright called Katori Hall called The Mountaintop. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a different perspective on the last day of Martin Luther King's life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, doing something like that, you have to do a lot of research and really diving into a character and... Um, so I, man, I dived so deep into civil rights era, you know, happenings going on, goings on, things that were happening in that era. And then to come from that and come from, you know, having my head full of knowing all of these things and, you know, learning about, you know, what was going on in Martin Luther King's life toward the end, like stuff with the FBI and all of that stuff. And then coming from that back home, then the 2016 election happens. Wait, you said back home. Did you get your MFA not at Faulkner? Yeah, Faulkner didn't offer an MFA. Where did you I get went your to Savannah MFA? College of Martin Design for that. So you were at SCAD? Yeah, I was at SCAD. Were you in residence at SCAD? Like, yeah, you, yeah I, 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 moved, I moved to Savannah for two years. Oh, wow. Okay, so you were at SCAD for two years yes. doing this show, or doing yes. working on this... Working on this degree. This, and, this degree, and yeah. then writing, well, not writing, I guess, but performing, performing the, show the show eventually. And, yeah. Okay, so you had all... Of, you came back home. And, and you know, and like I said, the, the election happened, and just seeing all of, you know, the incidents that had been caught on, on camera, and, you know... Not just the police stuff. Yeah. Um, because at this point, I almost feel like that's low-hanging fruit. Yeah, it's like um, we've, we've known that black people get brutalized mm-hmm. by police for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I, I think it, it's low-hanging fruit, and I think it's an easy distraction these days because it's easy to start the argument of, well, police brutality is happening, and then the other side is like, Yes, but these are just bad apples, and it's like okay, we get embroiled in this argument, and we lose we lose the perspective on what's what's really happening, and I think that's that's happened with a lot of things, and I, the 
the thing that happened in the aftermath of the 2016 election is that that person that's in the White House now is good at picking up a sign and holding it up and waving it in front of people to distract them from what's really going on over here. And since he has gotten elected, I feel like everything is adopting that model of, okay, this thing happened, and if we just bombard people with this, then they'll forget about this other stuff that's probably a lot worse. Sure. But we give them something to talk about here, something to argue about, fight about, polarize themselves um, over, and they forget about the real stuff. Um, and unfortunately, I feel like that's what's happened a lot. I mean, you can look at the NFL and the Colin Kaepernick thing. Like, that was Jeez. one of the main... I mean, it's so obvious how that whole thing got co-opted, starting with our president by saying it was about one thing when it never was. Yeah. And so, it's a strategy now, and it's an unfortunate strategy because we are so plugged in all the time with everything that... You know, you can let something out into the atmosphere and people just latch onto it and it blows up into this huge thing when it probably didn't matter that much in the first place. Um, and it's really interesting how all of that seems to be happening everywhere but here. What do you mean by that? So all of this stuff that's happened... All of, all of the things that You're we've seen. You're saying the whole world's going crazy, but Montgomery can, seems to be the same? No. No, that's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying, think back to so the civil rights era. Where was the seat of that? Here. All of that stuff. Yeah. It was right here. Yeah. I, for those of you, again, listening at home, the seal of the city of Montgomery is the most conflicted thing I've ever seen on... It's a it's a circle with a sheriff star through it. Um, on one half of the circle it says uh, birthplace of civil rights, and on the other half it says cradle of the Confederacy. Yep. Yeah. So yep. you're yeah you're absolutely right. This was the the birthplace this was of the zero. civil rights movement. This was it was absolutely ground zero. But think about all the videos, the police videos, and other videos that you've seen, and all the other con all the controversies that have anything to do with race that you've seen. How many have involved Alabama? Uh, I mean, almost none. Exactly. Why it's, is that, do you think? Well, I think there isn't one specific answer for that. I think a little bit of it is because that era was such a black eye that it was either people here learned to live with each other, learned to get along with each other a little bit, or something really, really bad was going to happen. I think a little bit of it is because they cut the head off of the snake with the assassination of Martin Luther King. Like, without a leader, the movement died. And everything, withered. you know, withered, not necessarily well, then died. Well, and then they turned Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, anybody who was a contemporary of his into a dog whistle demon. Yeah. Where you and, can, I mean, they did a little bit of that them, to themselves. But, so, I mean, to, yeah. an, to an extent, but yeah. it's... I think, you know, if you're going to err on the side of fighting for a cause, it's probably always better to fight for equality. Agreed. You know? Agreed. That's, I mean, that's my opinion. I'm not going to tell yeah. you how to feel. No, but I, I don't disagree Jesse with Jesse Jackson's a four-letter word here. It, it is. Yeah. Um, a little bit, and I understand the motivation, 
But sometimes the things that people like Jesse and Al were trying to do is better done by starting off the camera. And the fact that whenever something big was big happened, they were always beelining for it, I think hurt them in a way because it gave the people that wanted to discredit them some fodder. Gave them some, art, some uh, yes. ammo. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with these days, with the advent of outing any negative thing you've ever done in your past. Yes. That completely finished Can't wait until that happens them. to our podcast. Right. Right. Like, I mean, it, it, oh my gosh. It, <laughs> um, nothing is safe. Just, what a joy it's going to be whenever right. people start drudging up all yeah. my sins from yeah. the past. Right. It, you know, we, we live in a culture where you made mistakes in your past. You don't get to grow from, grow from them. People get are ready to, to burn you down. Yes. You get to be burned at the stake for things that you may have grown as a person from so too bad. So sad. You did them. You got to pay for them now in the sure. court of public opinion, at least. So, so back to it, what you're, you're saying is you think they cut the head off the snake and, and the movement withered. I would, I see it a different way, uh, which I did. I haven't seen it this way my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really only in the last couple of years since I've understood how strong and really conceptualized how powerful systemic racism is here. And maybe an anecdote will help. So I worked as a waiter right before college. Uh, I worked at Chappie's Deli on okay. Perry Hill Road. Yep. That's not very far away from miles. Classic Montgomery institution. Yep. Uh, and I, I got that job because people told me you'd make good money. And then you can go to Auburn where they had a location and Mm -hmm. then you could keep your job. And I was like, well, that's a fantastic deal. Right. So I remember there was this girl who was, she was black and she was a waitress Mm -hmm. and uh, she was going to ASU. She was from Atlanta and she was commenting on how segregated the city still is Mm -hmm. and how, and we've talked about this in, in other episodes of the show, how black people and white people typically don't live the same life they don't eat at the same restaurants they don't shop at the same stores they don't go to the same parks they don't watch the same movies i mean it's you're in the same i mean it's 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 like you're in the same city but there's like a veil between you mm-hmm. and you almost don't ever interact with each other outside of you know maybe i'll let you turn left at a red light or something before or at a green light before i go right um and so her commenting on this and how different it was from Atlanta where she was from and, and black people were much more empowered because they're still very poor here in Montgomery yes. on the whole. Uh, she goes, she said, I got here to college and I was like, y'all know y'all free, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was, when she said it, I remember thinking, what is she talking about? And then, and then having, you know, like you said, when you hit 25 and you start really growing as a human yeah. and you look back on it, you go, oh my God, yeah, I never realized it. Yeah. I mean, you're having a discussion about both classism and racism at the same time. Absolutely. Um, because y- you are right. This, especially a city like Montgomery is very, very se- segregated. I mean it because you have your poor white people 
but then you have your poor black people. It's a different level of it's, poor. It's a completely different level of poor. You ever heard that? Uh, is it was it Chris Rock talking about how how you just feel bad for white people when they're poor and they're not used to it? I think it's Dave Chappelle, but it's either it Dave, Dave Chappelle Ch- or Chris Rock. It's one of the two. It's yeah, it one may of be the, Dave. It may be yeah, Dave. I yeah. thought it was Chris. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and and so you're right about shopping at different stores and you know basically just using a completely different part of the city almost like you might say separate but equal yes but it's not but it's not but it also has to do with class because if you're a middle class black person which still middle class black person middle class white person two different things um i am technically a middle class black person i don't have a lot of money but i have enough money that it lifts me out of the category of being a poor black person. Here. What does that category look like? What do, I mean, what does middle class black person mean here in Montgomery? Uh, it means to, it means I get to live in places that white people actually live around a certain level that I would not have access to otherwise. And in a way that also goes back to um what we were talking about a little bit earlier and, and what I read um, in the in the article that I saw randomly on Facebook. Um, I typically hate Facebook articles, but this was actually a good one that talked about how, you know, as a black, black person who grew up a, around white people, um, there's a certain way that you have to carry yourself, a certain way that you have to look and a, to appear not threatening or not a certain kind of black person in order to be accepted or what does to that be mean? like what does that look like okay so take the issue like wow i guess that's like five or six years ago now the trayvon martin thing about yeah. the, where the hoodie thing started yep. like that's always been a thing though yeah. like i did you just know it yeah you, you when you start, you heard it were you like yeah of course you don't wear a hoodie in a white neighborhood yeah i mean you this is part of that thing, and it, it got some traction a little while ago, but there is a talk that most, especially in the South, black parents have with their kids about things that you can and cannot do. They have that talk about how you conduct yourself with the police in order to not have something negative happen, and you also have that talk about how you have to conduct yourself in different levels of society. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a conversation we all have. Um, because no matter how much education or money that I have, if I act or look in a certain way that reminds certain people... Triggers a certain thought. Yes, triggers a certain thought like, oh, that person's acting like a, in their words, a ghetto black person. I'm going to be right back over there. Like, I, I won't have access to... Um, and that sounds bad in a way, but because, it's so honest, but it, but it's honest. It's, you know, if I want to have access to better living conditions and, you know, I am in a point now where I, you know, I get this doubly because, you know, I have another person in my life to think about now because, you know, I'm in a very serious relationship with someone and we're talking about getting married, but that person's also white. That's heavy. That's yeah. heavy in Montgomery. Yeah. You have another person to think about. 
I do have another person to think about, and, and that is kind of the basis for the answer that I gave you earlier about how I feel about race relations happening here in in Alabama, because this is not the first time I've dated a white girl. I've dated sure. all kinds of races of people over my lifetime. You're a very charming man. But, like, 15 years ago, you know, 15, 17, 18 years ago, if I'm walking around with my girlfriend, there's a certain type of way we're getting treated here that doesn't exist anymore. In a good way. Now. In a good way now. Um, I remember that growing yeah. up here. I remember yeah. that way. Um, there's a certain kind of look, a certain kind of treatment, a certain kind of you're not welcome here kind of thing. I remember hearing all the time, all the time in high school, this is 10 years ago, well, my parents aren't racist. They just they just don't want me to date a black guy. Yeah. I'm like, it's so it's That so was from funny. white girls, by the way. Oh, yeah. If you oh, could yeah. have, it wasn't black oh, yeah. girls' no, parents no, saying that. No, I, I got that. Yeah. I, you know, I've had so many interesting experiences like that in my lifetime. My very first girlfriend was white. And we were boyfriend and girlfriend for two days. Because we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Then her parents heard about it. And they sent her older sister to talk to me at school and tell her to tell me that that this was not going to happen anymore and she literally walked up to me and she asked me what color are you and i was like i'm black she was like what color is my sister white she was like okay yeah my jaw is dropped yeah no that that and that was when i was in the seventh grade that was my first experience with four yeah that was that was my first experience with Racism as far as relationships go. Um, now, fast forward to 2010. And I was trying to be in a relationship with a girl at Faulkner. And she liked me. I liked her. We liked each other a lot. Um... I went to visit her in her hometown, um, which for identification purposes, I will leave unnamed, but are you sure? <laughs> yeah. You don't want to yeah, shout it out? I, I don't. I don't. You want to give me a region of the I, state? I, 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 East, Al- Eastern Alabama slash West Georgia. Yeah. So she's that's from Phoenix I mean. city or Valley, Alabama. Neither one of those. Okay, but, good. I'm getting too close. <laughs> I don't want to guess. Yeah. Um, this is but 2010. I went, yes, this is 2010. After I go, Barack Obama had already been yes, elected. When I go and visit her, and, um, like, I don't know, I think it was going to see one of her old high school football games. Like, we were just going to hang out. And uh, she calls me after it's over. And, like, I, I was headed back to Montgomery, driving back home. She calls me, and she says, yeah, my dad says we can't, we can't be together. This is a, this is a, I've graduated college woman. And telling me that her parents are not on board with us, so we can't be together. So, things change, yet they stay the same, in a way, for that. But, In that way, like racism is so internal now. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's not external. People, it's not it's okay to just anymore. say like, "I hate n words." Yeah, it's yeah. 
you say certain things. Yes, you say certain things or you tell your kids, I don't want you dating or associating yourself with this kind of person. But don't tell people that. Right. Because I'm not racist. Yeah. I just don't want you to date black guys. And, you know. Or be friends with them. Yeah. Or have substantial conversations with them. Yes. And or please be keep it mostly them. white. Yes. Yeah. But I'm not yeah. racist. Not racist at all. Because I didn't say the yeah. N-word. Yeah. At least I didn't say it right now. Yeah. I didn't say I hate N-words. <laughs> I just said it to you a couple of times. Right. Yeah. Right. Or, and man, I've heard some... I've heard the N-word more times in my family than I care to admit. And I, and I mean, cards on the table, like, when I was younger... I'd said it myself. Like, if you don't know any better, then what? Well, even if you, you do know better, when you're when you're in a culture that absolutely that that encourages it, like I'll I'll like I'm sure it would come out if I ever get popular enough on the podcast, somebody will say it. Like that was me at one point. Mm-hmm. I was that guy. Mm-hmm. Like, but that's that's the, my thing. That's okay. It's okay that you were that person, and that's why my first reaction if somebody says that word around me or something like that. My first reaction is not violence or anger. My first reaction is I want to educate you. I want you to understand why that word is bad, why you shouldn't say it, why I don't say it, even though some people in my culture do. A lot of people in my culture do. We're having such an honest conversation. I'm going to catch a lot of shit, Tony, <laughs> for saying that I used to say the N-word. It's, it, but... It's it's so okay because, and I, I don't mean that from a perspective of oh it doesn't matter that you. What I mean is because you have, you've evolved as a person. Absolutely, you, you, you have evolved and you have become a person who understands. It's a repulsive term to right, me at this point. Right, and that's what we should all be endeavoring to help people to understand is, you know, the word and the attitudes that go along with that word are part of a bygone era that needs to be retired. And retired is putting it lightly. Yes. It needs um, to be burned. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that, though. Because, and the reason why I don't agree with that is because if you burn something, it doesn't exist anymore. And so, if you completely wipe it away, all evidences of it, you don't learn from it. Including the progress. Yes. Yes. And so I don't, I don't want to pretend like it never existed. What I, what I want and what I, th- I feel like we should all want is an opportunity for all of us to acknowledge what happened and move forward. Um, and that goes for both sides because, you know, there's a lot of anger out there um, on my people's side right now. And there's, there's a lot of attitude of, you know, I'm tired. <laughs> I shouldn't have to be the person to have to educate you about Constantly this anymore. Educate yeah. people. But that's a dangerous attitude. Because if you don't, who is? Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Donald Trump. Exactly. And you, you can't expect people to just educate themselves when they don't have an incentive to. So, yes, it's exhausting. Yes, it's tiring. Yes, it's demoralizing at times. But I can't imagine. But you got to do it. You got to do it because nobody gets better if nobody learns. And so 
I don't know. I, maybe I just have a different perspective on that because of how I grew up. You may be one of the most graceful people I've ever talked to in my entire life. Well, in a, in I a way that, that. that you don't need to be. I mean, the word that comes to my mind when I think about the educational aspect of being black in Alabama is exhausting because you're, it's like you're, I mean, t- to use an analogy there that I, that I think of people might be able to understand from Hawaii is like when you run into the ocean and there's a big wave coming at you, Mm -hmm. you don't run into the wave. You dive into the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. And that way you don't get the full weight of the wave smashing on you, but you have to hold your breath and you're, you're diving really far into it and it kind of makes you a little tired. But then when you come back out of the wave, you look up and if it's, if it's flat, you're cool. If there's another big wave, you run right back and dive into mm-hmm. it. And it's like when you're white, you get in the water and it's flat. What? And when you're black, you run and you, in Alabama, you run and you dive into that wave and you come back up and you take a big gasp of air and your muscles are burning and your lungs are hurting. And there's another big you wave do it right again. And you got to do it again and again and again for your entire life. And everyone for some reason thinks that's okay. And I, I don't, I don't understand it. And I don't understand, I mean, to understand the black experience in, in Alabama and in Montgomery in particular would take an entire lifetime because it's, it's so peculiarized, even from what I've seen in, uh, from my childhood or even when I've seen, when I lived in Atlanta, it's so different. It's so different here. And I just, I don't understand how people don't comprehend the amount of, grace and strength and poise that it takes to be that educator not just once not just twice but literally the entire course of your communicable life i I don't disagree with that at all um and it can be exhausting but at the same time it's just like the attitude of a teacher okay as Take a public school teacher, for for example. You can have a classroom full of 36 kids, all of whom are extremely exhausting. But if you have that one that comes out and all of your efforts to teach and mold these young minds into something, you have that one that got it. That one that the things that you said sunk in and they grew and they learned and they understood it makes the rest of it go away it's funny that you say it that way because uh from running in the same theater circles i can think of so many people who knew you before i did whose lives and outlooks on race in america on classism on just and then beyond that just like the general how to be a good personness of living you've affected and it's much more than one so kudos to you man well but yeah i mean shouldn't that be all of our goals though like, absolutely not and not just see previous the... comment about you being the most graceful well, person <laughs> what yeah I, I appreciate that, but it, 
I just think, yeah, just, just, I wish that I could describe my group of friends to you because it is the antithesis in a way of where we are headed as a country right now, because right now nobody can have an honest conversation with differing views and not come out of it screaming at each other and hating each other. Well, can I ask you about that though? Because I, this thought popped in my head earlier. I mean, I I know a lot of the people in your friend group Mm -hmm. and, uh, I know them to all be incredibly kind people. I mean, people that anyone who met them would say are honest, wonderful, loving people. And I also would venture a guess, I don't know the entire friend group, but I would venture, I guess, say you're probably the only black guy. Yep. Do you feel token at times? No. No. And the reason for that is because they don't make me feel that way. Because the fact that I am black is just one of my list of characteristics. It's not my primary identifying factor. I don't give anybody street cred. You know, it's it's nothing it's nothing about that. It's just the the nerdy black guy from right. <laughs> Georgiana doesn't give anybody street cred. Right, no. no. <laughs> okay, um, well, let me let me take it in a different direction. Um and this may be something that's closer to your heart. Uh I've become I've so in the last, and this is not just me, this is my friend group, the people that I that I knew that sort of came out of that same tradition as me, this mm-hmm. like very conservative, Republican, evangelical. I mean, right. if you'd have met me eight years ago, 10 years ago, I was terrified that Barack Obama would be elected. Right. And now I'm like, he's probably a top 10 president easily. Right. Um, but my friend group has undergone that same transformation. People are reading, engaging, and listening to participating with more and more black art Mm -hmm. um there's an incredible and robust and powerful movement toward afrofuturism Mm -hmm. um right now going on and i think you've seen that most notably in the past several years uh with the black panther Mm -hmm. things like that things that things that are that are allegorical for other things that are going on and for other values that are so deep people haven't really been able to talk about but when you see them displayed mm-hmm. you understand that's me that's what i'm going through i'm gonna ask you to comment on that because for those of you at home tony works at a, a very popular uh comic book game shop called visions here in montgomery and so i'm assuming that you're somewhat of a comic book nerd comic books yeah video yeah Comic books, video games, board games. Books, real books. Yeah, (laughs) fantasy, sci-fi. Give me your thoughts on, I mean, do you have any thoughts on Afrofuturism, on the movement, on on black art in America, on on modernizing the black experience? I honestly think it's been a long time coming. Um, Coming into, from the discipline that I I come from in my theater background. and knowing the struggle that black playwrights have had to get their work recognized beyond what we call the Chitlin circuit, um, um, in, uh, in our culture, um, you know, you're, you're, the Chitlin uh, circuit is yeah. the funniest thing I've ever heard. It's, it's a real thing though. It's I've a real thing. I mean, Tyler Perry got his start on the Chitlin circuit. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I get, as soon as you yeah. said it, I knew what you meant. Yeah. I just never heard that word. Yeah. So, I mean, like it, the struggle has been real for a long time with black art. 
I mean, you know, in in schools, or you ask anybody who's been through an Alabama public school education, and more than likely public school education across the country, name a black artist. They're going to give you a name at best, and that's Langston Hughes. That's exactly who I thought of. Exactly. Zora Neale Thurston. Yeah, Zora Neale Thurston, that's another one I that said possibly, possibly yeah. they might name. Yeah. Um, but there are so many others. And, sure. And so many others that, you know, struggled and railed against the system that didn't accept what they did. I mean, you can go read works of people like Amiri Baraka and see how angry he was about a system in America that, you know, was designed in a way to keep black people down. Um, designed very specifically to keep black people yes, down. I mean, especially yes. Especially at his time. Yes. So I love, I love, love, love the kind of renaissance of black art that we are experiencing right now uh, in a lot of disciplines. Um, you know, and now is the age of social media, so anybody can get their stuff out there. Um, and I am seeing so many black artists flourish on, you know, exhibiting their art on platforms like Instagram or Facebook and things like that. And, you know, musically, musically, we've always subversively, uh, basically without saying it musically, y'all have always been the best. Yes. I mean, but like (laughs) subversively people have always loved our music, but now it's coming to the forefront. Yeah. Like Elvis was happy to steal it. uh, Yes. Yeah. But even so, like, you know. There were a whole lot of people, a whole lot of white people that had their music they listened to in public, but at home they had a Luther Vandross record or they yeah. had a, you know, a like an Ella Fitzgerald record or sure. something like that. But they didn't talk about that in public um, or Lena Horne or somebody like that. And, you know, commercials throughout the 80s and the 90s were happy to use hip hop music yeah. without the words in it, but the sure. music from, from, they were happy to use that. But now... You know, all of that stuff is coming to the forefront. And I think I think it's amazing. I think it's wonderful. I don't think it's something that we can be content with, though. Um, because the renaissance of black art is wonderful, but now we needed to go past art to thought. I remember when the night of Trump's election, uh, every, I mean, you know, he is, what he is now is not a surprise. No. Everybody knew he is what he would be. Yes. Uh, Republicans included, those that yes. voted for him knew that he would be this yes. and they were okay with it. Yes. Um, and I remember a tweet on election night saying the best thing that comes out of Trump's presidency will be the art. Yes. And it seemed like almost immediately, immediately, immediately yes. the black renaissance of art yes. happened. Yes. I mean, I think, I think that Kanye West dropped St. Pablo in 2015, which you know, right now, his his relationship with the black community is strained. It's a little, uh, little out there right now. But I think uh, what Chance the Rapper's coloring book came out in sixteen. Love Chance. Uh, yeah. Lil Yachty. Yeah. Kyle Migos. Uh, well, I guess Fetty Wap was earlier than that, yeah, but he's only continued. I mean, all yeah. of their acts have only continued to grow. Mm-hmm. I guess the Black Renaissance maybe started under Obama in a little yeah. bit less tumultuous times, but I mean. Guys like Tanahasi Coates, who have now just yeah. exploded onto the scene. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can't go without mentioning somebody like Kendrick. Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar, oh Jake Cole. I mean, the, these guys. And you if know. you want to take it to, I mean, if you want to do the 
the the Christian thing. You've got guys like Propaganda. You've got yeah. guys like Show Baraka. Yep. You've got guys like uh, black black theological thinkers like uh, Adam Thomas. Uh, yep. I'm sorry, Adam Thomason. Um, it's amazing what's it going is. on right now. It is, and Lecrae to another extent. I I, mean, I really he's a discussion for another day, but I I really like him. I do too. Um, and it, he has some interesting ideas about a lot of things. Um, I I think it. I think evolving into black thought is a great thing. I I, I watched the show for the first time um, yesterday, um, and the Smiths have a very interesting relationship with the black community as in Will and Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. They have a very interesting relationship with the black black community. They're a little bit polarizing. Sure. But it all it, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that it it's like that intelligent black person successful thing too. So um I've heard a lot of crap against them cuz they're both light skinned too. Yeah, also that. Um but Jada started a show. It's called Red Table Talk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only on Facebook Watch or whatever. But I watched an episode today. It was yesterday. I'm sorry. It was she and it was Gabrielle Union. I and saw they, that episode. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was two um, mature, wonderful black women getting together and mending a relationship for everybody to see. And I just thought that that was like the most valuable thing that I had seen in a while because too much, I think, that we are so intent on breaking relationships down and we're so intent on you're on that side, I'm on this side. And there is just a lack of an ability to have a different opinion from somebody and to actually just have a conversation where it's not hostile. Like... We can disagree on things and still be human beings to each other. And so many people seem to have forgotten how to do that these days. Like, you know, you're a Republican, I'm a Democrat. We have to hate each other. It's like you root for Alabama and I root for Auburn. We have to hate each other. Like, stop it. Stop. Like, that, that is the most asinine thing to fracture human relationships. It really, really is. Especially when we were literally created to only be in relationship with one exactly. another. Exactly. I mean, if you break this down to the science, we are herd animals. Yeah. Like, that <laughs> it's how our immunizations work. It's, yeah, it's, it's all, all of that. Like, we are herd animals. We are not built to separate ourselves from each other. Well, last question I'll ask you, because I know it's, it's getting kind of late. Um, yeah. At the end of every episode, we do restaurant shout outs. Okay. Uh, we do shout outs of all types, but we do restaurant shout outs. And uh, do you have any restaurants? I, I, I'll ask you two. Okay. Restaurant number one can just be like somebody's coming into town and you're like, go here to eat and tell me what you would get. And if you know the story behind the restaurant and why it's so significant, you can tell me that too. Okay. Restaurant number two is like fancy dinner. Where do you go? Because I've got, I've got my two. Okay. What's yours? Man. The one place if somebody came was passing through Montgomery and I would tell them to go, my goodness. Well, there's a couple of answers to that, but if you want to go like the most iconic representation of Montgomery, I'd probably send them to Chris's hot dogs. God dang it, Tony. Don't take my first restaurant. 
fine. I will go. I will go. I will go away from that. My, you can have it. I'll, I'll no, go no, no, it's fine. One. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I can. I can pick a different one because you know there's the other obvious answer, which would be hamburger candy. That's my second restaurant. But I can. I can give you a different. A different one, and I will say Vicky's lunch van. Oh, that's a solid choice. Because down on, well, it was it was Vicky's burgers down on Federal yeah. Drive for a while, right? Yeah. yeah. Then she just yeah. closed it into a van. Well, now it's a, it's actually a restaurant. It's just yeah. still called that. Oh, okay, yeah. It's on. Yeah. It's on. It's the split on Federal Drive, where yeah. Federal Drive splits yep. into a uh, yes. uh, Lower Otumka Road. Yes, it's yes. it's at the split yes. between Federal Drive and Lower Otumka yes. Road. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Fantastic hamburgers. Fantastic hamburgers. It's like, delicious. Uh, it's so good, and they're uh, like as big as your face. I mean, it is um, it is the greatest hamburger. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is a great hamburger other than Chris's hot other dogs. Than, yeah. Where you can get the special burger. Yes. Which is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I love that's it. That's where we ate tonight was Chris's oh, hot I'm dogs. I'm so jealous. I'm Dude, so it jealous. was so good. Uh, and it's man. like it's like three fifty for a hamburger. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It is like yeah, just it, perfect. It, it feels like their prices haven't changed since like the 40s. It's it's <laughs> yeah. been around since 1917. Yeah. It's made it through two world wars, all of the civil rights era. Yep. Yeah into modern day and yep. it still hasn't still closed strong and it i mean it is always busy yep you can i we ate for three people tonight for 24 dollars yep. and we were stuffed, stuffed. like oh you know almost had to roll stuffed. me out of there yep. get the special dog special burger uh, special cheeseburger I my mouth say. is watering and it's like 2 a.m dude Good just gracious. thinking about that makes me so hungry right all right what's right. your what's your nice restaurant um man see that is a little bit of the hard part um because when you say nice restaurant, I don't like the stiff. You gotta dress up supers. Sure. Um, it's date night. Where are you taking your lady? Uh, date night. <sighs> Man, if I, if it's date night, I'm taking her somewhere that has good food. So okay. I'm gonna take her to somewhere like El Rey's or. That's a great choice. El Rey um, Burrito Lounge. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Some dude. of the most. It was. I mean, probably one of the first that I ever heard of like craft artisan mexican restaurants in the country so fantastic it it was open like 25 years ago yeah like it's been going strong for forever and it's fantastic you will there's literally nothing you can get there that you'll be disappointed no it's amazing zero zero things but i also love somewhere like saza saza's great great pizza place yeah pizza place kind of um very italian in nature and it's owned by a DiMaggio randomly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I really like that. There's a place in Cloverdale called Cork and Cleaver. That's Cork really good. and Cleaver. My mom tried really, to take me there for lunch yeah, the other day, but really they had already closed. Yeah. Yeah. We're not wanting for good restaurants. No, we're not. The, we if, eat well down if here. If you want to eat, come to Montgomery, Alabama. We eat yeah. really well. Yeah. And the scene's getting better as far as like the downtown scene. It's, sure, it's improving slowly slow. but surely. But as as it seems like with all things, yeah, Alabama. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's slow. But you know, a lot of people come to Montgomery and they're like, "This is the capital city." I thought it was Birmingham, and it's like, no, this this is the capital city for more reasons than just metropolitan area. Yeah, but um, my nice restaurant would be Jubilee Seafood. See, now I can't say something like that. I can't either because I've never been there, but I've wanted to go forever because everyone <laughs> who tells me about it, they say it's phenomenal. But I will give an extra shout out okay. to, uh, this is more of a lower, but it's like kind of expensive for what it is. It's a meat and three restaurant. Okay. 
a classic, a Montgomery institution that I never went to until yesterday. Okay. Dirk's Filet and Vine oh, over in Old Cloverdale. Okay. When did you go? Lunch? I went yesterday. Lunch or dinner? Lunchtime. You got to go for breakfast. Man, I, I was wowed uh, at how good that food was. You got to like, go for breakfast, It was like man. somebody went into a gourmet kitchen and made like 20 dishes and you can just pick them. Yeah. Uh, oh, here's another shout out. We have a lot of meat and threes guys we and do. I'm sorry to shout it's all these out. Thing, it's a Southern thing, man. It's a Southern thing. Did you ever go to the one at the farmer's market? Yes. The farmer's market uh, the, meat and three. The farmer's market cafe know, is so good. It's a big state facility where farmers bring all their food and sell it. And then there's a cafe and they buy that produce and then they turn it into meat and three. Yeah. And it is freaking amazing. amazing. Yeah. But yeah, shout out to again, Flame Vine. Yeah. It was, I got the, uh, like, it was like mango, uh, mango, sorry, no, it was pico de gallo covered uh, tilapia. Mm-hmm. I got uh, squash casserole. I got their uh, sweet potato casserole. Oh. And I got their macaroni and cheese. Mm. My, yep. my brother got their thick cut pork chop. That was just, I mean, it was um, perfect. It's it was perfect. Per- it was perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. It was so perfect. Everything there was just perfect. Yeah. My mom got their, uh, got their boneless chicken breast. Mm-hmm. It was the best fried chicken I've yep. ever had, yep. except Martin's well, over on, uh, over on Carmichael. Now you Road. talk about a Montgomery staple. You Martin's, talk about Martin's. Another meat and three. Yeah. <laughs> you might come out of there with high blood pressure, but <laughs> brother, we got more meat and three. We restaurants. really do. Peyton's place. Peyton's. Oh yeah. my gosh, Peyton's. Yeah. They place. moved to a bigger building now. By the I way, I know where yeah. Cornerstone Catering yeah. was, right across the street yeah. from uh, your alma mater. I know. Yeah, we got. Oh yeah, we got a lot. We have a lot of those here. Well, yeah. Tony, I appreciate your time. Is there absolutely? I probably talked more than you wanted me to. But... You didn't at all. No, you talked <laughs> less than I wanted you to. Any final thoughts? Actually, yeah, I do. I saw a really interesting quote um, that was that happened very shortly after um, Mr. Trump got into office. Um, that I thought really accurately explained the world. Um, and it said that, you know, despite what a lot of things that you see in the media, what have you believe, and believe me, I'm not one of those, you know, fake news, all media is fake news people. I'm not that at all. But despite what a lot of the things you see that you get bombarded with every day, um, people in this country are a lot closer than you think. Um, we're not that different, we're not that far apart, and relations between us are better than you think, um, because the things that you see all over everywhere will have you think that this country is more polarized than it's ever been, and that it's the worst it's ever been, and that we're, you know, close to Civil War Part Two, and I think that... That is not as bad as it is, and I think that we all have an ability to make it better, and that's something that I want to do, and I know the people that I love and are, are, am close to, um, I know that that's their passion too, and I think if people like that all around this country would just come together, I think that we could do a lot of good. I really do. As you say in the church, that was Brother Tony.
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. This I has been fun. Time, it's been a lot of fun. All right. That's the Blue yeah. Hawaii Podcast. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii.